Good morning, church. It's good to praise the Lord, a rescuer. If I have not met you yet, my name is Ross. I get to serve here as family pastor. I'm excited about jumping in and walking through uh, Ephesians chapter 1 with you this morning as we continue our, our series. This is the third week uh, in Ephesians. We're going to be walking through the book of Ephesians for the rest of the fall, the rest of this year, and then a little bit into uh, to next year. Uh, so if you have your Bible, turn with me, open up to Ephesians chapter, chapter 1. You can, uh, uh, there's also, uh, in, um, in the sermon bulletin handout uh, Thing in, inside your bulletin, if you grab your bulletin in, your, in the foyer on the way in, um, uh, you can find that. There's actually, the, the whole passage is printed off uh, there in that, in that handout, so you can follow along there. The words will also be on the screen. Either way, I'd love for you to have a copy of Scripture uh, in front of you this morning. As we, as we go through, because we're going to spend the first little part of our, uh, of, um, of our time together uh, looking at the Word, observing the Word uh, together this morning. Um, there's also, for, for kids, there's, uh, there's handout activity sheets, sermon uh, notes in the, in the back there you can grab that, that, uh, that uh, can uh, keep our minds occupied as we're, as we're looking at the, word, at the Word together. So before we, uh, before we jump in, let me pray for us. Uh, let me pray for us. Father, we praise you um, because we are freed from sin forevermore. And we long, we hope with anticipation the day when we will be finally uh, freed from the presence of sin forevermore. Uh, we long for, as we will look at uh, this morning, the day of redemption when you come to claim your possession. And we are caught up and bought up with you, Lord. We, we confess that often times uh, our hearts are numb to this reality. Our hearts are dull to, this, to, to, to the riches that are ours in Christ. Our hearts are uh, sometimes burdened by, by the guilt and the shame of our sin. Our hearts are burdened and weighed down by the sin of those around us, by the suffering that we see, the suffering that we... Where uh, Paul expounds the blessings that are ours in Christ. And he begins that, if you look up at, in verse 3, it says, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. And last week, Justin walked through the, the first two blessings that, that Paul mentions. We have been chosen in Him uh, before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless. And then secondly, we have been predestined for adoption, to be claimed as sons and daughters of Jesus. And so those, those are the first two. And then uh, in verses 7 through 14, we have three more. There's three more blessings that he's going to uh, unpack for us this morning, um, uh, that, that Paul's going to unpack for us this morning. Uh, when I was 18, I was a freshman in college. I went to college in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, and a, a group of uh, friends of, my, uh, of mine, we decided to uh, hop in a 1995 Ford Explorer that looked a lot like this one, one of my buddy's cars, and uh, we drove down to Jacksonville, Florida. I, I can't, several hour drive from Columbia to, to Jacksonville. And uh, so uh, one of our buddies fa- had like family friends who were very wealthy and they owned a house. It didn't, it wasn't this house, but it looked a lot like this house. And, um, and so we, so notice the contrast there, a bunch of 18-year-old, like, broke college students driving around a car that I literally went, like, weeks, a couple weeks after we got back from this trip, like, the car broke down, got totally totaled, and we had to get a, he upgraded to, like, a 1999 
uh, Honda Civic. So it was really, uh, so, but that's, that's, so that's kind of who we were. We were 18 year old, broke, Bible college students, and drove down to Jacksonville, and, uh, they were, their, this family was out of the house for the, I can't remember, I don't know, maybe they were living in their second home or something like that, but, uh, they were out of the house. We had the whole house to ourselves, and I remember pulling in to this estate in this car, uh, with all these guys, and we're like, we're going to stay here? And, uh, we, so we enjoyed the whole play, the whole time for, uh, enjoyed the food there and, um, jet, used their jet skis. And then we went to, uh, we went to a Florida Gators game. Uh, but, but I remember, so there we were, a bunch of broke kids, uh, uh, in Christ. We've, we've seen, we'll see Paul just repeat over and over again that phrase, in Christ. And that speaks of our location that we've been placed into, that we've been placed into and then wrapped up in. It's like, like, you know those Costco things of, uh, of saran wrap that just like, like miles and miles and miles of saran wrap? Like, that's what God has done for us in Christ. He's wrapped us up. He spent uh, for miles and miles and miles of saran wrap, wrapped us up, placed us in, in the person of Christ. And in Christ, in that location, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. That's who we are. We have been invited into this uh, by no merit of our own, placed in this location. Uh, and, and it's lavish. Uh, but Paul, here in Ephesians 1, what he's trying to do is he's trying to awaken us to this reality, that in Christ we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing, that, that grace has been lavished richly on us. The problem is, though, Paul knows. Paul knows our tendency to drift. Paul knows our tendency to want to, for, for one reason or another, forget, uh, forget and, and become dull to the reality that is in Christ. Uh, and so uh, we, we, we would so many times prefer to just go and live uh, with a rickety old uh, Ford 1995 Ford Explorer rather than live as kings and queens to what she has called us to. Uh, and so what we're doing, what we're going to see Paul do is, is, is try to jog and alert and awaken alive in our dead, sleepy, slumbering hearts and souls this morning with the beauty of the gospel. Uh, so that what's tr- what is really securely, assuredly true of us in Christ, we might be able to live out of that reality uh, this morning. So let's, let's work through this text. We're going to work through uh, verses 7 through 14. And you'll, and you'll notice, if, you, if you're following along in the handout, you'll notice that it's broken down in kind of a funky way. Some things are indented a little bit. That's, uh, what, all I'm trying to do is, is show you kind of the main ideas in this text, the main verb phrases that Paul is trying to bring out and how he structures his argument. And this is important because, one, anybody struggling to make it a priority to be in the Word, of, uh, word every single day, like you can sign up to receive a text so that the first thing you do when you look at your phone in the morning is say, oh, there's a link. I can go to, the, to today's reading plan that we're reading through as a church. Um, uh, you, can, you can do that. So there's a QR code in, in the bulletin. You can scan that. You can sign up for that. You can contact the front office to sign up for that. Uh, we'd love to walk through the Bible with you, and this is what we can do uh, together. And, and a big part of all, a big part of what we do when we spend time in the Word of God, either by ourselves or in a community group or Bible study or whatever, or here on Sunday morning, is simply just to observe, to identify, to take note of what's in Scripture. So that's what we're going to do today. I want to break out these three uh, main ideas, and then uh, and we'll see everything else that Paul uses to unpack those three main ideas. So the first thing, this is what we say. Uh, this is the third blessing, but it's the first thing in our, in our, in our, in our passage for this morning. In him, that's, there's that phrase, in Christ, that, that he repeats 11 times in these 14 verses. In him we have redemption by his blood, the forgiveness of our offenses. 
according to the riches of His grace that He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He did this when He revealed to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure that He set forth in Christ toward the administration of the fullness of times to head up all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. So I just want to observe here, the main, the main phrase here, uh, the main verb idea that he's trying to communicate is in him we have redemption. And then he kind of brackets, brackets it off with a comma. He says, which is, this is Paul's way of saying, which is the forgiveness of our sins. And then everything that follows in, verses, in the second half of verse 7 through verse 10 is an unpacking of, of, the, of the, the manner in which he has blessed us with those things. And then the purpose. Did you get the purpose word? Uh, uh, toward the administration of the fullness of times to head up all things uh, in Christ. Okay? Uh, so, uh, so that's the first, first thing. Then, the, the ne- then we have an- another big, big sentence, main idea here, in verse 11. In Christ, we too have been claimed as God's own possession. We'll come to, back to that phrase uh, in a little bit. And then he unpacks the redemption of God's own possession. That is the day when Christ returns and claims finally what is his uh, to the praise of his glory. Okay, so we see the three main, main ideas, and then it's... And then, uh, and then the, the rest is unpacking, uh, unpacking those, main, uh, those main ideas of, uh, that Paul is, is getting at in these, in these verses, okay? And now Paul, what's important to note is Paul is very intentional with this. Uh, he's not, these are not just three random blessings. It's not just like he's just throwing a bunch of religious language out on the page to get us all hyped up or something. Like he's, very, he's, he's chosen these things very specifically, because in, in these three blessings, what Paul is doing is he's counteracting, he's combating, he's fighting against three lesser impoverished gospels that we are so often so prone uh, to buy into and to believe. And, and, they, and they have a subtle, even if you've been following Jesus for decades, these impoverished lesser gospels have a subtle, sneaky way of, 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 of entering our lives and our souls, and they, and they can often go undetected within us. And so Paul, what Paul is doing is he's, he's combating, he's, he's alerting our minds to these lesser impoverished Gospels. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to uh, spend the rest of our time is identifying these lesser impoverished Gospels that Paul is trying to combat. And then, and then uh, and look at what, what does it mean to enjoy the full, rich, and lavish Gospel uh, that is ours in Christ. Okay? So the first thing that we're going to see is that this Gospel is a Gospel of lavishness, not of lack. A Gospel of lavishness, not Lack. So he, said, he begins, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our offenses. Now, at first blush, that's classic Christianese, bible language that we just kind of blush or uh, glance over, right? Uh, but that's, this is not vanilla Christianese to Paul. Look at the next phrase. According to, we have redemption, we have forgiveness, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us in all. They're upside down and they're like, why are my pants wet? They have no idea, right? Uh, and that, as, as aggravating and frustrating as that is, that is the picture that Paul is trying to communicate in the gospel. Like, like God has not filled us half full, like given us just enough redemption, given us just enough forgiveness, uh, uh, given us just enough atonement. He has dumped gallons and gallons and gallons of water all over the dinner table, all over our glass, all over our laps, all over the kitchen floor, right? 
That is the measure. That is the degree to which your sins have been paid for by the blood of Jesus. That, that, that's, what, that's, what, that's what's uh, being communicated here. And um, this, would not, this idea would not have been lost on Paul's original readers. Right? As you remember a couple weeks ago, Justin unpacked the, kind of the, the, the religious landscape of the church in Ephesus. They, they, there was a world that revolved around the temple of Artemis. And, and so in order to maintain the, the, the pleasure and the, and, the, and the forgiveness, if you could even achieve it, of the gods of, of their day, constant sacrifices, constant prayers had to be uh, maintained. Your uh, redemption and your forgiveness, if you could achieve them, needed to be continually maintained. Your spiritual bank account needed to constantly be replenished. You needed to be constantly making deposits. Uh, in their world, the gods were, not, were predisposed to work against you, not for you. Now, you and I, we aren't making trips to the Temple of Artemis and sacrificing our pets on altars. But we do know what it's like to have in our minds a gospel that is lacking and deficient. And here's what I mean. We, so many of us, even those of us who have been raised in the church and, been, and heard the gospel a thousand times since, we, since before we could speak, uh, we, we, uh, we believe a gospel that relegates us to perpetual and nagging guilt and shame. And here's what I mean. I think we know that we're holding on to a gospel of lack, a gospel that's lacking something. If we regularly have this sense, that uh, this voice in our head that says there, there's something more for abundance of funds, God is not stingy or withholding to you. Your redemption has been accomplished by Christ himself. And if Christ himself is the payment for your sin, Christ's perfect righteousness is the payment, if that's credited to your account, then you are swimming in the deep end of the pool. You are drenched in grace. Uh, this is what Paul says in, Roman, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. The, the glorious creator and sustainer of the universe took on poverty, the form of a slave, and was executed like a, like a naked criminal for your sake. And if that's the case... Simply by trusting in him, every, a, a lavish amount of wealth has been credited to your account in the, in the eyes of the Father. We have been wrapped up permanently uh, in the work of Christ. Now, if you're here, you're not, you're not a follower of Jesus. Um, maybe you're not, you're not sure what you think of, of, of Christianity or where you stand with Jesus. Uh, you, I th- it's common for us to have a perception of, of, of Christians and Christianity that basically says, like, Christians are, you know, they're... Uh, they're glum people with guilty consciences uh, that, um, that, con- that can need to continually read their Bible or pray or go to church just to make sure God is happy with them and to feel good about themselves. Uh, and and if, that's, if, that, if that's kind of what your, your thought of Christianity like, is like, I just want to say like, that is not the Christianity of, of the Bible. That is not the Christianity of Ephesians 1. Uh, the Bible speaks of a gospel that lavishes, that never withholds anything from those who are his. So, the gospel is a gospel of lavishness, not lack. Secondly, though, the gospel is a gospel of completion, not contribution. Completion, not contribution. What I mean by that is, in the first half of this passage, what we see is Paul saying, uh, there's nothing lacking in the gospel. Uh, And then in the second half, what we're going to see is that, therefore, 
the gospel is completed, and therefore you can contribute nothing to it. We are the cash prize that God is saying, at the end of the day, I claim you, I choose you as my possession, and that's what we have. Uh, we, it's a passive thing. We are claimed as his, as, as his own uh, possession. And then... Uh, and we actually get that idea, that same idea comes through in the context of a couple, later, a couple verses later. Uh, uh, the, the, the big idea we said was uh, in verse 13, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. You were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. And that idea, marked with the seal, that's a, it's the same connotations of inheritance or being claimed as a possession. So it's a, so, uh, it's, it's a first century way of, of, of like what was applied to like, uh, uh, animals, like farm animals, like it's, it's branding. It's, it's the idea that we have been branded by the Holy Spirit. We have been marked out and said, you are, this is my possession. Uh, so when I was, um, when, uh, one of the blessings of, of marriage is that Monica teaches me all these wonderful new tricks. And one of these tricks is that when you're traveling and you're in the airport, you tie a pink polka dot ribbon onto your suitcase and that marks it out so that you know when you get to baggage claim at your destination you know which is your is your suitcase and that's that's a little bit more of the idea of what what paul is saying by the by by the holy spirit is we have been marked out as god's possession and so god has god looks at you and because of faith because only of faith in jesus he says that one is mine you are mine i claim you as my own son or daughter that, that, that's, that's what's being communicated here. So, uh, uh, what this means, though, is that, uh, that it, is, it has been it is, um, fully a work of God to save us. Uh, and, and then he will, the, uh, the verse continues in, in verse 14, he, he will redeem this inheritance. He will claim his cash prize uh, on the great day when Jesus returns, the day of redemption, when our freedom from slavery is finally completed and accomplished, and we are claimed as as His own. And here's, so here's the whole point of verses 11 through 14, the second half of our passage table that's not been completed. One of the ways is actually is that it affects our relationship with other people. It affects our relationship with other people. So our tendency to compare uh, and compete with other people is actually a reflection of our view of who God is and our view of the gospel. So uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a, uh, a dad, I've become hyper-aware of a similar kind of dynamic in my home. So my boys, they're really young, but I still see the tendency in them. They're two and three, 16 months apart. And because they're so close in age, they fi- I, I find them constantly, if not subtly, just competing for my attention, competing for my approval, con- uh, competing for my affection. So one of them will just randomly, because they're, Three-year-old, two and three-year-olds, they do things randomly. They just start sprinting across the house and say, "Dad, look how fast I'm running!" And they come run and touch the kitchen stove, and then come running back and jump on my lap in, in the living room. And 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 then as soon as the the younger one sees the older one do that race, he 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 has to do it too. He has to imitate and do do the exact same thing. So he takes off sprinting into the kitchen, touches the kitchen stove, and comes running back and jumps in my lap and says, "Look how fast I was! Look how fast I was! So fast! I was so fast!" They have like. Uh, uh, they have tennis shoe socks, so is what they call them. So, like, their socks are so fast that they run as fast as they do when they have tennis shoes on. It makes a lot of sense. So, um, so, but, or they'll, one of them will go and make something out of Legos, 
uh, and then come running out to me and say, look, Dad, look at what I made. Look at this airplane that I made. And then, and then the other one, the two-year-old will go and like kind of put three blocks together, and it really doesn't look like anything. But uh, he'll come and show it. Look, Dad, look, Dad, look, look, look. And uh, because he sees the approval, the attention, the affection that I give to the older one uh, for the great job that he's done, and, and so he wants it too. And so there's, there's this constant comparing and competition going on. Now, as a fallen dad, I, I, like there's probably, there's got to be ways that I unknowingly, unintentionally contribute to this. And, and of course, I would never want my sons to think that they can, that in order to earn my affection, they have to, you know, be faster than their brother or make better Lego creations than their brother. Like that's, but, but, uh, but as a fallen dad, I'm sure there's, there's ways that I've made mistakes uh, in doing that. But here's the thing, like, uh, uh, um, there's, what I want us to see is that oftentimes, so often, you and I, when we come and gather on a Sunday morning, making sure that we're always putting on the best uh, smile and the best foot forward and our families are put together uh, the best. Why? Because uh, somehow deep within us, there's a, there's a competition and a comparison, and it's a measurable way for us to measure the affirmation, the acceptance uh, that we get from our Father. And these subtle, pervasive ways that we compare ourselves to others are actually fundamentally telling us about the way we view God. But there's nothing, the gospel is, there is nothing more to be done. There's nothing more for you to contribute, nothing more that needs to be done to impress your Father. In fact, God's work to lavish you with grace and to claim you as his own treasured possession, it wasn't even, this verse tells us, it wasn't even your idea. You weren't even smart enough to come up with it. I wasn't smart enough to even come up with it. What does it say? Uh, That's my picture of my son's fighting, so it's not. Um, uh, in Christ, in verse 11, in Christ, we have been claimed as God's own possession. God says, you are mine. You are my treasured inheritance. Why? Because we were predestined according to, to the purpose of a weak, wimpy God who so, sort of sometimes gets the way that he wants. No, according to him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will. What does it say? We, since we were uh, predestined. And this is really important for us to understand. If we're ever going to be drawn out of our souls, or ever going to be awakened out of a gospel of works and contribution, your stance before God was assured and made secure before you even existed, before you were even, before you were even around to contribute anything to it. And this is really, really good news. Now, I want to acknowledge there's a whole lot of mystery uh, about uh, how, do you, uh, how does this drive with our free will. Of course, we still have free will, and of course, God's sovereign. How do those things go, to, go together? I don't know. Uh, the, all, all I simply want to say is like, this passage is, is pushing us toward the comfort of, of a gospel that says, before we were even around to contribute anything to it, our stance before the Father. We have uh, redemption, which is forgiveness. In Him we have been claimed as God's own possession, and in Him we were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. Uh, and now running through all these ideas is the, is the idea that God's gospel is a gospel, uh, God is a planning God. He's carrying out His plan and His purpose in the person of Jesus. Uh, that God has a grand purpose and design and a destiny that's wrapped up in one person. And so we see it everywhere. And at the end of verse 7, we see that He lavished all this. It wasn't random spontaneity. It was He lavished us the gospel because of wisdom and insight. Uh, and then later it says uh, he did this when he revealed to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that was set forth in Christ, toward the administration of all the fullness of times, to head up all things in Christ. Did you catch that? This passage that's highlighting the beauty of the gospel, your salvation, the riches of the gospel, 
it's not even ultimately about you. It's not about the church. It, 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 this, this is a plan that envelops and engulfs the entire infinite cosmos. All of heaven and earth are headed up, summed up, wrapped up in Jesus. That at the end of the day, at the end of God's eternal plan, Christ will reign as king, head over all things. And all the disorder, all the chaos, all the dysfunction of your life and of this whole world will finally find its peace, its resolve, and its unity in Jesus, who is the focus of it all. And this is infinitely bigger than you and me. Uh, and he, he, we see he, he, uh, this, this idea keeps, keeps coming. Uh, we were predestined according to the uh, purpose of him who accomplishes all things, according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to set our hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. There's that phrase again, to the praise of his glory. And then he repeats it at the end of verse 14. We have received the down payment of our inheritance, this, this Holy Spirit, until the redemption of God's possession to the praise of God's glory, uh, to, to the praise of his plans in my head. Like, I have a vague idea of what something, I want something to look like, and then I watch like two or three YouTube videos, if that, uh, on how to do it, and then I, then I just jump in. I try to operate with as little information as possible as I'm trying to, as I, as I'm trying to accomplish these tasks. And, uh, what, but what inevitably happens when I don't have a great plan uh, ahead of time is I realize, oh, I get halfway through and I realize, oh, I don't have the right tool for this or I don't have the skills or the knowledge to do this job or I have to make a thousand trips to Home Depot just to get you know, the right size board or the right screw to, or whatever. Um, and, so, uh, and so it's never a good idea, right? Uh, now, what we were learning about God in this passage is that God is the exact opposite. Like, God doesn't have just a vague idea in mind. He doesn't, he has every step perfectly and, and, and carefully laid out. We read from, from before the foundations of the earth. God is working toward an end, and he's taking every thoughtful, intentional step to bring all, to bring all things to his end. And that's a really, really good thing. If I... Uh, uh, if I go to surprise my wife with a sign of my affection and stop by on the way home from work and spontaneously grab her, grab her flowers, like that communicates love and affection to her like spontaneity does. But if I spend months and months and months planning a trip or planning a great event for her or planning a great night, like which one of those communicates more affection? The one that like requires 30 bucks in five minutes of my time or the, or the one that, that spends months and months of, of emotional energy invested into it. Like, that is to the extent to which God has, has gone to save you and to wrap him up, wrap you up in the story of his son. Uh, and, and so that's the story that we get to be a part of. And, and again, Paul is trying to, he's trying to lull us out. He knows our tendency. He, he, to, to, he's trying to draw us out of being lulled into lesser stories, lesser gospel. He knows our tendencies uh, to, to buy into impoverished, lesser views of reality, lesser views of our stories. And as I wrestled with this, with this passage, I had to honestly compare, like, this trickle down and affect your life. Because Paul includes this emphasis because he knows our tendency to settle for lesser dreams and that are ultimately impoverished and that ultimately will never satisfy. I, but we are so content, I know I am, we're so content to punch a clock at work and do an average job to, do, to earn an income, to be able to pay for an average amount of leisure and pleasure. I mean, that's what, who, what we do as Alaskans. Like, we live for 
pleasure and leisure and f the fun of enjoying the outdoors. And it's, it's, a, it's a good thing, but it's a dangerous thing. Uh, we, uh, we live for a retirement that's built around finally achieving a version of leisure and freedom that will ultimately leave us empty, anxious, and frustrated. Like, that's our best end in mind for ourselves, is to be able to take off, like, all of the, the summer to en en enjoy life. Like, God is, what God is doing is he's wooing us into something way better than that. Uh, and this affects us as parents and as families too, as husbands and wives. It's so easy just to settle for just getting by in our home, just for like just getting, surviving another week with the kids and making sure the kids get to the practices and graduate high school so they can finally get out of the house, right? Uh, and um, it's so easy for us to, uh, to do the bare minimum to invest in our kids and in our spouse. But God is inviting you into a story that, that has eternal repercussions, that is that is. That is, that is cosmic in, in scope. And that should reframe the way we treat our spouses. It should reframe the way we, we work at our jobs. It should reframe the way we, treat our, we, we, we invest in our kids. Right? So I want you to think about your life. Do you view your job, your family, your marriage, your relationships in light of the totalizing cosmic gospel in Christ? Or have you settled for puny aspirations and petite priorities? I have to constantly... Uh, I have to constantly evaluate my, my, my own heart and my own self. So in a few minutes, as we, as we wrap up, we're going we're gonna to close uh, with, uh, with uh, t taking the Lord's Supper together. Bread. Father, uh, teach us to delight in your word. Buoy our hearts with the comfort, the assurance, the, the final completion and accomplishment of the work that you have done for us in Jesus, who lived the life that we could never live, who, who lived the life perfectly that we could never live, and then died the death we deserve to die, so that by, sh by nothing but faith, by sheer grace, we might be welcomed in, claimed and chosen as your sons and daughters. Father, where we, where we live out of the reality of impoverished, lesser, unsatisfying Gospels, would you, in your grace, in your kindness, in your gentleness, restore and strengthen?